Lord God, teach us to always seek first you and your kingdom. For Jesus' sake, amen. Grace to you and peace from the Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. And a blessed Mother's Day to, to all of us. We all are grateful and thankful for our moms. Thankful to those of you who are mothers. What a blessing it is to have family relationships. Some of my earliest memories are of my mother, particularly at my bedside, saying prayers with me at nighttime. I'm remembering that some of those prayers came when I was not feeling so good at a time of illness. And my mother prayed very boldly that God would heal me. Maybe you have some of those kinds of prayers about your mom as well. Today's topic in our 40 Days of Prayer series is on how to pray for healing and restoration. Now, we're going to be addressing that rather large topic on several levels in this message today, but let's begin with the topic of physical healing. Of course, we recognize that God is the healer. But we also recognize that God the healer invites us to ask boldly, to come to Him in prayer and ask boldly for healing. In Hebrews 4.16, it says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God invites us to come to Him with confidence as his beloved children of our loving Heavenly Father, and ask boldly. There's a story that took place in the life of Jesus. It's found in Mark chapter 9. It's the story of a young boy who was possessed by a demon. And this demon would render this boy mute, unable to speak, and would throw him into convulsions. A terrible experience for this young lad. And the story continues this way. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And now notice Jesus' response. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. The father says, if you can do anything, take pity on us. And Jesus responds, if you can, everything is possible for him who believes. I think what we can take away from this little incident in Jesus' ministry is, first of all, we are to believe that God can do anything. And therefore, we come to him with confidence, knowing he can do anything, even what we consider impossible. Secondly, we are to ask boldly, with confidence, as our loving Heavenly Father invites us. And thirdly, we are to trust God to answer our request in the way that He knows is best, and He always does answer it the way He knows is best. As a pastor, of course, I deal with a lot of people who are struggling with various kinds of physical challenges. And I'm reminded of this simple truth that God heals in three different ways when we're talking about physical challenges. 
Sometimes God heals by miracle. It's unexplainable. The doctors don't really have a logical answer, but God does a miracle. Yes, he still does that occasionally today. But sometimes God heals by medical means, by using the medicines and and the treatments and the care of professional physicians and nurses to bring about that healing. They are the means or instruments of God's healing. But sometimes God, by his mercy, gives us the ultimate healing. He mercifully takes us home to heaven. There have been any number of times in my ministry when we've uh, been at the bedside of a church member whose loved one is nearing the end. And they face those end-of-life decisions that can often be very, very challenging. But I always remind people that when the conditions cannot be improved and they're there reaches a point where the doctors are not able to do anything and we've come to the end of our praying for a miracle, that there comes a point when it's okay to let nature take its course and to acknowledge that God, by His grace, is giving this person the ultimate healing of taking them home to heaven. But next I want to address the topic of healing and restoration on another level. And that is on the level of the civil realm of the land in which we live. You know, if you take a look at the situation in our own country, our own nation, we don't have to look very far to see that our nation needs some healing. Our nation needs some restoration. Restoration of its community soul, if you will. I think we would all agree that as we observe the life and times in which we live these days, there is a growing secularism in our land, a growing anti-Christian sentiment all around us. As we observe people living out their daily lives, it's obvious that there is a moral deterioration that is palpable when we compare to decades past. We look around, we see the news, we see the increase of shootings and wonder how in the world can this be taking taking place. We see scandals rampant, opioid addictions, and the list just seems to grow and grow. Is there any question that our nation needs some healing and restoration? What might be our role in that? You know, St. Paul lived at a time when the the world was not very pleasant. He was uh, dealing with the Roman Empire and a, a corrupt Roman emperor. And yet, with all of that in mind, listen to what he he wrote to Timothy concerning the land in which he lived. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. St. Paul calls for prayer, yes, even for the nation, even for its leaders. Let me ask, do you pray regularly for our nation? Do you pray regularly for our national and state leaders? 
Do you pray for healing and restoration, not only for our country, but for our world? I think we can learn something from the story of Solomon in the Old Testament. We heard a portion of that in the Old Testament reading for today. Because in God's words to Solomon, we gain something that we can apply to this level of healing and restoration, that which applies to our land. The story, of course, is the dedication of the temple in Jerusalem. The temple had just been dedicated, and then the Lord appears to Solomon at nighttime, and he has something to say to Solomon. You see, God was foreseeing that the people, his own people, would become wicked and would turn away from him in the years to come. And God issues these words to Solomon. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. If my people who are called by my name will do this, I will restore the land. Now, we have to ask the question, who does God mean by my people? If my people would do this. Of course, in Solomon's day, my people was a reference to the Israelites. And we understand that ancient Israel lived in a very special relationship with God known as a theocracy. They lived in a direct relationship with God who was considered king over his, uh, his people. And we need to say very clearly that America, the United States of America, is not a theocracy. It's not on the same relationship as ancient Israel was with God. So we ask the question, how do we apply this text then to our context today in our country? Who might God be referring to when he says, if my people who are called in my name will do this? How does that apply to us today? My people today is you and me and all believers in Jesus. So we ask the question, do us Christians have a role to play in the civil realm? Do we have a role to play in society as a whole? Or are we to limit our activity to merely spiritual activities? We certainly understand we have a spiritual role in the world. We are to advance the kingdom of God in the sense that we are to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. We are to lead other people to know who Jesus is. But do we have a role in the civil realm? Very clearly, we need to say yes. We do. We play an important role in influencing society for the good from the motivation of God's love for us and for all people. I like what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 in today's gospel reading. He said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Salt in antiquity served two purposes. 
It was a seasoning for food as it is today, but even more importantly, salt was a preservative for meat. Long before the days of refrigeration, meat was preserved by being packed in salt. It kept it so that it could then be used to eat. Likewise, Jesus is saying, you and I are the salt of the earth. We not only bring a special flavor to the world, but we have a preservative influence upon society as a whole. And if we no longer have that preservative influence, we've lost our saltiness. Jesus says it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Now, granted, society around us is not all that eager to have a Christian influence in the world. But friends, you and I are called to be salt, to have an influence in the civil realm, to have a godly influence in the way things are carried out in our nation and around the world. Jesus goes on to say, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Light, of course, shines into the darkness. Light helps people see a better way. Light helps them find a clear path forward. And friends, you and I as followers of Jesus Christ living in this nation are to be a light unto this nation, showing a clearer path demonstrating a better way of living through our faith in Christ. So be salt and light in the world. Back to the passage from 2 Chronicles, we then can tie this in, where God says to Solomon, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. I just wonder what effect would it have on our very own nation overall if all of God's people did those four things, humbled themselves, prayed regularly, sought after God and His will, and repented. Healing and restoration of our nation begins with us. Now that takes us to a third level of uh, understanding for this message for today. And the question I have for you is this. How might these principles from Second Chronicles 7 apply to one's personal need for healing and restoration? How might what God said to Solomon apply to our personal need for healing and restoration? You know, on a personal level, if, if we're honest, we each have our own experience of brokenness. Certainly, we all have a spiritual brokenness in that we are all sinners. We have all disobeyed God's will. We've all gone our own way. We're all in need of spiritual healing and restoration. Maybe it's healing of a relationship that's broken in your life that is a need for you. 
Maybe you need restoration from an addiction that's held you captive for way too long. Maybe it's healing from a bad habit for which you need God's help. Second Chronicles 7.14 lays out for us four conditions for healing and restoration in our lives. Let's look again at what they are. God said to Solomon, if my people will humble themselves. There's step one, humility. Humility. Admitting that I'm not in control. Admitting that I of myself cannot get myself out of my own mess. That I need God who is greater than me to step in. And that takes a humble heart to acknowledge the need for God. The problem is that our our sinful, self-centered pride gets in the way of us experiencing real healing. We're too prideful to allow such change to take place. But humility is step one toward a new kind of life. James, in his letter, chapter 4, verse 6, says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble gives grace to the humble. He's saying that God, by His gracious love, is ready to bring healing and renewal and restoration to the one who humbly admits, yes, God, I need help. That's step one, humility. Admit, I'm not in control. Step two, then, is to pray, to ask God for help. God said to Solomon, if my people will pray. This 40 days of prayer emphasis that we've uh, been in during this Easter season has been a good reminder to all of us and a good encouragement to not hold back, but to ask God for help. He is ready and willing and eager to hear our requests for help. And of course, we always pray the way Jesus did, thy will be done. We always acknowledge that God understands perfectly what is best for us, and His will is always to be preferred. Humility, prayer, step three in God's words to Solomon, if my people will seek my face, to seek God in all things. To seek God and not just a miracle. You know, many people are focused on getting a miracle. And that's their entire focus. Maybe they're dealing with a physical healing and all they can focus on is a miracle. But they forget what needs to come before that. Seeking God and His perfect will. Our focus, you see, is to be on seeking God and knowing Him and knowing what His will is for our lives. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, God rewards those who earnestly seek Him. It's about understanding and knowing what God wants in my life, seeking that with all my heart. Moses said to the ancient Israelites in Deuteronomy 4, if you seek the Lord your God, you will find Him if you look for Him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, You will return to the Lord your God and obey Him, for He is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you. It's that invitation to always be seeking God and His perfect will. 
Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be given to you as well. Be humble, pray, seek God, and then fourthly, turn. He says to Solomon, if my people will turn from their wicked ways. We are to turn our attention from the world to the Word, to Jesus, who is the living Word of God, and who reveals to us in His written Word His plan for our life. Turn. You know, the, word, the New Testament word for repentance, the Greek word is metanoia. That's really two words combined. Meta means change, noia means mind. Repentance is a change of mind, a change of the way I think. It's like doing a 180 degree turn away from sin and the things of this world toward God and His grace and His love and His will. St. Peter said in Acts 3, 19, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. See, step four in this process is to turn. To turn away from sin and turn to God and find in Him the refreshing and the restoration that only He can bring. We finally come then to the last part of this verse where we hear God's promise to Solomon. Let me read the verse again and point out the promise at the end. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, here's the promise, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. God hears, God forgives, and God heals. You know, God's power to forgive sin and to heal whatever brokenness we are dealing with was put on display for all the world to see at the cross and the empty tomb. At the cross where Jesus Christ gave His life Real healing was made possible. Real healing that goes all the way down to the soul. The healing and forgiving of our sins and our brokenness from inside out. That was all accomplished at the cross. Through faith in Jesus, we know we are forgiven and free. Through faith in Jesus, we are made whole again and are able to live out our faith with joy and celebration. And at the empty tomb, we experience true restoration because Jesus rose from the dead conquering the power of death so we too will rise again on the last day. And in anticipation of that ultimate restoration, we're able to live restored lives right now. We're able to live in the joy of the resurrection each day of our lives. And out of that joy and celebration of God's love for us, you see, we can have an influence in the world around us. We can help bring healing and restoration. But I want to close with this question. Friend, for what kind of brokenness do you need healing and restoration?
take it to Jesus. He can make all things brand new. Amen. May the peace of God which passes human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.